Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I am your host, Finn Melanson, and this is our last golden ticket talk for the Black Canyon 100K. In this episode, we talk with second place male finisher, Scott Traer. Scott is currently based in the Phoenix, Arizona area via Boston, Massachusetts, and not only punched his ticket to Western States this June, but also ran the fourth fastest time in course history at the age of 40. In addition to race analysis, we also talk about the New England trail scene, his media work with Era Viper Running, his Run Fasta coaching business, and more. It's always fun to do episodes with fellow YouTubers and podcasters like Scott. I really enjoyed this one and I think you will too. Let's get started. Scott Trayer, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Woo-woo. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Hey, that was the most enthusiastic response I've ever gotten on this show. That's awesome. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is congrats on a golden ticket to Western States, but also for potentially creating a new fashion statement in our sport with this button up <laughs> shirt. What yeah. was going through your mind uh, in the lead up to this race? Like when you're selecting all your gear, what, yeah, what made yeah. you choose a button up shirt? Yeah. So I, I, if you've ever seen me race, I'm typically racing in some very, very old cotton t-shirts. I've used that button up for a while. It's, I like super thin, soft material and the tech material just doesn't have that yet. So that shirt I bought, I don't know, 15 years ago for a dollar at Salvation Army. It's pretty much see-through, super soft. And it was an audible. I was going to go with a, a shirt that had treated me well in racing. And with the cold start and then super hot afternoon, I thought, I'd be able to roll the sleeves down as the day got hotter. I could adjust the, uh, the airflow with buttons and, uh, it works good with just soaking that shirt, dumping water. It stays, uh, stays wet long. So, it, I mean, practical and stylish. I mean, yeah. Well, we, we go through waves in the sport first. There was the, uh, Walmsley Sensman checkered shirt and then the Francois bucket oh, yeah. hat. And oh, yeah. um, maybe we have the Scott Trayer button up shirt now. We could, we could, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, it's fairly common. I mean, I know a lot of my friends wear buttons ups while running, but it seems to be an anomaly in some other markets. So yeah, maybe we just need to expand that vision from East coast to West coast. We'll get to the golden ticket stuff in just a second, but I also kudos on the chasing gold series via our Viper running. I think myself and a lot of listeners were, were glued to every episode and maybe talk a bit about how you got that opportunity and where it goes from here because yeah, it was awesome. Oh, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. So that was uh, just something I gave a little idea with to Jamil. It was uh, for a few reasons, but yeah, the buildup's good. It also allows athletes to plug their sponsors a little and hopefully the athletes, you know, get a little kickback on that. I mean, I feel like as an athlete in the sport, you know, it's tough to try to make a living. And whatever we can do to give the athletes an opportunity to bring their brands to focus maybe helps them. And the idea of this series was just, let's have some fun. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted to try to make the athletes laugh and open up a little. My vision of the series was, was going to be called, will they crack under the idea of, will they crack under my questioning and make them laugh? And the pun on, will they crack on race day? But yeah, I'd actually asked a few of the athletes to provide the name of, of a training buddy going in that I could dig up some dirt on them without them knowing. And a lot of them were pretty happy to do so. So I, so I feel like I had a good arsenal going into the show to, uh, to pick on them about. And is, 
is this something that could, could continue on? Like, would you do this for the Canyons 100K and subsequent Golden Ticket Series? I don't know how that's going to, I don't think it was so much Golden Ticket Series based as it was our Viper based, but yeah, I think it was taken pretty well and people were happy with it. So I would hopefully do some for maybe Javelina or Coca Donor or some of those other marquee uh, Arrow Viper events. Were there any particular interviews that stood out to you or comments any of these athletes made pre-race? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, for me, I, me racing, I mean, that stuff, I could feed off that because then I have a good relationship with everyone on the course. And that just makes racing a whole lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, going in, even off the air, you know, we had chats with the athletes where I was just talking with them. That, that was great. And we had a lot of laughs. But yeah, on that start line, or even before so many athletes, even not that were in the series, just athletes that watched just had so much good comments to give me about it. And uh, yeah, that's why we did it. Try to get some people smiling and having fun in this crazy sport. Well, I think you have at least some name recognition in the sport, but it's worth, I think, going over your background before we get into Black Keenan as well. So how did you get into ultra running? <laughs> yeah, so I played sports all through college. Uh, I was never a runner, hated to run. I was actually nicknamed Speedy because I was so slow. And yeah, after college, just I was running a couple of days a week, nothing much. And I was doing a lot of travel where I would spend half a year in, in all over the world, just exploring, running, hiking, cycling, climbing, just getting myself into wild adventures. And I think it was 20, not 2009, 2010, I was in, uh, I started in Patagonia and I was just staying in the Andes, traveling north. And hiking was taking a while. Like I'd travel to a village, I'd set up there for a week and I'd be like, I just want to get up this thing. And I, I wasn't using maps or anything. And I'd be like, all right. So I'd leave after breakfast. I, you know, I'm trudging up, you know, three, four, five hours with nothing, no fuel, no nothing whatsoever. And I would get to wherever, say four hours, three, four hours into the day and just, you know, just be bonked. I didn't bring anything with me. And I'm like, man, I got to run back to either where I'm camped or like whoever's place that is allowing me to stay for the night and I would run back and just be wrecked and I loved it I absolutely loved it and that went on somehow I didn't get hurt but that was day after day of just doing this and uh yes I jumped into the deep end pretty quick and it looks like you were pretty active in the New England running scene for a couple years before coming out west so as somebody who is a New England expat I'm now in Salt Lake City. I still have a lot of love for the area. And I'm, I'm curious what it was like running on that scene. If there's any events that stick out in memory and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually here on the East Coast for the week supporting uh, my local trail running group, Trail Animals Running Club, which I love. Very low key, but so inclusionary and everyone is welcome. But yeah, so I would race, like I said, I would be here a few months out of the year working, saving my money to go travel and hopping in a lot of the events on the East Coast. And it's just, it's different, right? I mean, the, the trails on the East Coast and New England in particularly are extremely technical that most athletes out West can't really understand unless they start running in that environment, at least, yeah. you know, in the Southwest. Yeah, it's gnarly. There's great New England athletes. They don't get the love that they deserve. Neither. A lot of people don't want to travel east to race. They always want to go west. But yeah, I definitely grew up racing out here. 
And now when I go to a course like Black Canyon, what people say is technical, I find it to be a speed track and it's just, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's smooth and buttery to me. We need to drop them in the whites where there's just absolutely no switchbacks. Yeah. Right. Inside, you know, no switchbacks, just running up ravine beds and bombing down them, hanging on for your dear life. Yeah. You ever think about why the East coast doesn't have a similar media scene like the West does? Like I don't think of the East as having an Aravipa running equivalent where, you know, you have this big media production and these massive race series and in events that have a thousand plus participants. Do you have any sense of why that's the case? Yeah. I mean, one, I don't think that's the case anywhere. I think that what Aravipa has done is very unique. So I don't think you're going to find that anywhere. And that's how special that community is. But on the East Coast, yeah. I mean, you, you, I grew up here racing. I could have done anything, the most astounding thing in the world, and out, people out West would, would have no idea who I was. So it's very unfortunate. And th- there is, there's no marquee event. I was thinking about this. There's no marquee event on the East Coast that athletes want to come out to where big name athletes want to come out to and throw down. And that's unfortunate. I don't know wh- how that event comes. I know there's a lot of people that would love to host that event, but it's not fast, right? It's not fast. It's not sexy. So you have to, the people that are running fast on these super steep, rugged technical routes yeah. are, it's almost like a niche in the sport. There's not many people that can do it. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of falls and bloody bones and bloody everything to get good at it. Yep. And yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a different side of the sport. That's not, maybe not as appealing to some. It's, it's true. Yeah. Well, I have hope that as UTMB becomes more popular here in the U S and people start to think, okay, where's the best place to prepare for that? I think a lot of people will think like Utah and Colorado, but you can go to Northern Vermont and Northern New Hampshire and get more than your fill of like really technical terrain, frequent ups and downs. I would, you you talked about having an event where people can throw down in the East. If it was possible to get permission and permits and whatnot, I don't have the race directing knowledge. That area would be an incredible, like UTMB of America. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some events going on in the whites now. And I, I know of a few companies that put on some great events up there. But yeah, it just, I don't think, I think there are very great, fast, super skilled athletes there that I think just excel in that environment, but it's not an environment that many people travel to. And I I don't know why, why that is. I I always reminisce with some people like, oh, have you ran this route out East? Yeah. And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, so good. So good. Like you just said, it, it produces some stellar athletes. Like, I mean, Jeff Colt, he finished just behind you at Black Canyon. That guy yep. worked in the White Mountain Hot System for six years. Yep. Yeah, you know, Jeff. There's so many great athletes in the, that come out of that hot system. It, it, it's, it's awesome. But yeah, there isn't a media company that, that's pushing that flavor of ice cream. It's all West Coast, uh, fast speed type stuff. And, and I think it's pretty common across all spectrums of, of media. I don't think that those athletes that are doing that super, super technical rugged run and get the respect they deserve. Amen. Well, what, uh, what brought you out West? I had, uh, you, you know, I don't know. I essentially was living out in Colorado for a few years, had a house and that was sold at the start of the pandemic. And I was just, uh, living on the road for a few years. And I was actually just heading out to Phoenix to get ready for a desert solstice and yeah. Black Canyon and an opportunity with Aravipa opened up and 
yeah, so now I'm going to stay. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked about that for so many reasons. Um, but yeah, it's, it'll be a good place for me. You said you had home court advantage heading into Black Canyon. So did you do a fair bit of training on the course in the lead up? I actually put on with our Viper some of the training runs. I had ran every step of the course okay. once uh, over three runs. I ran the whole course, but the home court advantage mainly came from the, the Phoenix community, trail running community, just accepting me with open arms when I got there. And the same with the Ara Viper family that I knew when I went into aid stations or along the course, it was just electric how many people were yelling for me yelling for the run faster hat and i actually had a few athletes that i coach wearing the green run faster hat and they told me after the race that they were treated like royalty along the course because of the hat and i i mean i just cannot thank that that community out there if you know me as a racer i feed off that energy and seeing people i know and just seeing that was just yeah. I mean, it made the day I was smiles all day. That's awesome. And, I, and we're going to, I promise we'll get into black Canyon in a second, but one yeah, more no thing hurry. you, you said in your pre-race interview that your goal was to quote, keep up with the kids <laughs> and fast forward to the end of the race. You've run the fourth fastest time in course history. You got second place. And the reason I say all that is because you're over 40 years old, which is fascinating because the sport is only getting more competitive. It's only getting more professionalized. And people in your age group are still competing and submitting results that are as good as anything. So how do you explain that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the sport for a while and I think my thing, you know, and I tell everyone it's easy for some athlete, you know, you have a lot of athletes, division one athletes coming out of college. And the, I mean, the, they have a lot of fast speed. We have a lot of Olympic marathon qualifiers. I think at this race alone, there was a few athletes in the two tens for the marathon. We're not running a marathon. We're not running a 10K. This is a whole different sport. And the skill set needed for this sport is not the skill set needed for a marathon. Yes, the, the speed is important. Running economy is a lot less important in, in these yeah. ultra distance trail racing. So my, I mean, me going into an event, knowing that for over a decade, you know, I've putting up hundred plus mile weeks for the most part, all most of the year. I mean, I know if I run well, I'm keeping up with anyone, you know, there's not many that are, I'm coming at it from a different end of the spectrum. I'm just, you know, that endurance base is it's ginormous. It's like a tank rolling through fields. And so it's easy to look at the other thing and say, Hey, I'm going to be intimidated by this fast guy, but I feel like, yeah, it's just, a, it's a different sport. And I've ran enough fast workouts, even leading into these on trails that I, like I said, I know I can keep up with the kids, even in the 15 to 20 mile speed range. And then with my aerobic endurance. Yeah. I mean, I think on a good day, I'll always take my chances. Since you've been in the sport a while now, at least a decade, is it fair to say that you're in the best like hundred K hundred mile shape of your life? That's it. I wish I knew the answer to this in 2015. I was, I was pretty fit. And at that time, again, I, I just, I wasn't even selecting races for most of my career. I've always just been like, where are my friends running? I'm just going to go run that race because mm. I just want to hang out, have some fun. And it's a much better idea than going to, I don't know, go to a race by yourself or something. So for those early years, I was just racing wherever my friends were at. So I, and I know I was, I was super fit, you know, marathons in the two twenties and just, wow. you know, huge, huge weeks. So I don't know where I'm at now. It's a good question. I feel I'm somewhere 
similar. I don't know any faster or slower, but I feel like I've learned a lot in the sport. And I think my, my, my mental approach is pretty different now um, that, yeah, I'm as confident in myself as ever. Well, I think you were definitely selling yourself short when you said you needed that Harry Potter magic. That was, I was cracking up. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said, in that, the interview, my self interview, I laid out my plan. Which was brilliant, by the way. Thank you. I laid out the plan and I just knew, I mean, for me to run my best, that's what I had to do. And it didn't matter what anyone else did. And there could have been five guys in that field that ran under eight hours and I could have ran my best and ended up in sixth place with the same time that I did, or I could have ended up in, in winning with that time. I had no idea. All I knew is I needed to run how I ran to do my best and then just see what happens at the end. And on that day I got second place. So that's uh, great. So you mentioned just a minute, a moment ago that in past years you had selected races just based on like where your training partners were going, where your friends were going. How recent uh, has your focus changed to getting a golden ticket to Western States? And was it always going to be Black Canyon or were you looking at other races in this series to go after it? Yeah, so I was, yeah, like I said, I was trail run bumming around for the last couple of years. I was up in Alaska this summer, just doing some mountain runs for about a month. So good. And it was one day I was just working on some coaching stuff. And like, yeah, like you said, I mean, I'm over, I'm about to turn 41 and I'd never taken a crack at one of these golden tickets. And yeah, I mean, the clock's definitely ticking. I'm not that, uh, that glib that at 41, I don't know how many more years I have. And I said, all right, well, I know I'm going to run solstice because I, that's my favorite race to, to go do. And that's in December. And I mean, I knew it would be a huge turnaround and a risk with, you know, 150 plus miles and then trying to turn around in six weeks for a fast 100k but it just said it was one of those things where if i don't sign up and don't go run a, one of these things i may regret it in five or ten years like i regretted maybe not running one you know five six years ago when maybe i was faster yeah so that was it i just i was up in alaska in between huge runs and it was like all right i'm just signing up for this thing and i'm just gonna go there and have some fun wow do you and also one other question i had is like in the lead ups to these races, do you have training partners that you work with or are you pretty much on the road and doing a lot of miles on your own and blocks on your own? Yeah. The last couple of years, uh, actually probably since my return to this, I was out of the sport for a couple of years in 2016. Okay. Since that return, I've all, almost always primarily been on my own. I, I, the house that I was living in was a remote house in the Colorado mountains where okay. that was just where I was. Now in Phoenix, like I said, I'm just so overblown with the running community there. I, yeah. I feel so at home with it. There are a few folks that I will go out and run with. I'm a little busy, so my running schedule is pro pretty sporadic. But yeah, th there's a few folks out there that, that I would love that I like to catch up with. But yeah, for the most part, solo. Well, let's get to the race. Um, maybe we can start with race strategy. Are you somebody, when it comes to race day, you intend to conform to whatever the pace is among the lead pack or do you go in knowing that you've trained to run at a certain like threshold and, and you're going to stay within yourself yeah so again with my coaching hat on i always look at process goals to get that outcome goal and like i outlined i mean my process goals for this race were you know coming from asking some friends that i'd gotten golden tickets there in the past 
and knowing the course. If you're familiar, there's some cattle gates that you have to go through. And then you're on single track for 60 miles and you have stuff that wants to poke you like cactus all lining the sides of that. So it's tough to pass. So yeah, so my, I got some advice and that was to get to that first gate, get to the single track in the position you want to race in for at least the first 20 ish miles. So you're not just stressed out passing, getting past. So my goal was to get into that position, which I figured would be about 20th or 30th position yeah. and stay there till about the halfway point so that was it i mean it's tough when you're spotting the fastest guys in the sport you know you know you're going to spot them a few minutes right i mean that's just intimidating but you just i knew that's what i needed to do i knew they'd be up front i knew it was going to be 80 degrees in canyons in the day and just hot so i stayed super patient through there and yeah my 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 process goal for the middle half of the race came with a mantra that was hydration is more important than pace. Just knowing with sweat rate, I'd be sweating 50 to 60 ounces per hour and only being, being able to get in maybe 35. So taking in two plus bottles an hour, plus slamming Cokes and stuff at the aid station was my plan yeah. and to stay hydrated because I knew I would have to run a strong close. So I was just focused on that close and it played out that way at mile 30, I caught up to a pack of seven or eight and I didn't like the, the speed of the descent. It was a little technical. So I just yelled guys I'm passing everyone right now and just bombed down. That was right before black Canyon city and passed maybe eight or 10, uh, people. And then when I got into black Canyon city, again, I don't have a crew or a pacer. I don't, yeah. I just, it's kind of not my thing. So kind of in and out quickly dump water, get my balls filled. <laughs> And I came out of that aid station and met up with Anthony Costales and yeah, I didn't actually really know a place I was in and he wasn't looking good and I was feeling great. So passed him and yeah, next thing I know it's, I'm at mile 40 in third position and I'm ready to start running. Have you done that enough times in your racing career where you feel confident at this point that, uh, you're going to reel people in the second half, there's going to inevitably be carnage and you're yeah. going to be there to rake it all in. Yeah. I mean, th th how many times have you heard an ultra runner say after they cross the finish line, man, I really should have went faster in that first 20 miles. You're not hearing that too often. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a no brainer, especially it's, it's that hot. So going in there, throwing the ego aside, just letting everyone go get killed out front. And then, yeah, it's one of those things where I know if I, if, yeah, I think it comes with experience in the sport and knowing, right. I mean, not many can run at near aerobic threshold for say 40 miles and then be like all right i can turn it up now that 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 is a training adaptation that takes a long long time that i think a lot of the newer athletes just uh you know they just don't have the cumulative amount of training to to be able to do that to be honest i want to talk about coaching in a second because uh you've got some interesting takes there but what did it feel like to get the ticket i mean I'm guessing this was your first attempt at a golden ticket and you got it. And that's yeah. not fun. You typically want to have some awesome story where like you failed like 10 times and you triumphed on like the 11th. So you got it, man. Like how does it feel to achieve your goal on the first attempt? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that it was too big of a goal. I mean, trust me, I've had more than my fair share of failures and things not going well. I mean, that's just part of the sport. So yeah. So to get the ticket, um, I'm excited to go run. I'm excited to go. Like I said, I know that 
I think myself and a few other friends know that I, if I race well, I usually do pretty good. I know going into the race, just like this one, I don't think many people will know my name, which I like. And yeah, I mean, I'll just be excited to go there and I'll have the same strategy. I will be goofing off on the course, making fun comments with people. And it's the same as Black Canyon, right? I mean, you just got to stay patient, get those fluids in and come Forest Hills. You got to just be ready to race. If you're not ready to race at Forest Hills, you don't have a chance of winning or getting anywhere near that top 10 spot. So my plan will be pretty similar to Black Canyon. If you're putting your Western States analysis hat on and giving some free coaching advice to other golden ticket winners and folks that are lining up, how would you recommend them thinking about how to race that race and what to maybe do specifically in training? Yeah. I mean, like I said, you cannot race well late if you are super dehydrated. So we all know it gets hot in the canyons, cooling and just being, like I said, being ready to race late is going to be the key. It's yeah, it's fast, right? The course is fast. Those, so you should be running on fast stuff at about that grade. So just trying to, in those final 10 weeks, trying to match course as best as you can. And it's a lot of things that I think a lot of newer athletes don't do, especially when, you know, I'm talking to them in Phoenix about the hundred K race. And it's like, you know, in those final two blocks, you are trying to determine hundred K effort and strategy, right? Cause it's not a pace or an effort that you're very familiar with. Like, right. You might have like endurance pace or, you know, your easy rounds and yeah. then you have some workout pace, but, and for newer athletes, that hundred K pace is probably slower than their easy, than their easy runs. But on the faster side of the sport, that hundred K pace is probably that intensity might be slightly feel more so than their typical easier. And it's still under aerobic threshold for sure. Yeah. But I, it's not super relaxed. So tuning in that, where is my hundred mile effort strategy, you know, and focusing on, okay, this is exactly, I mean, for me, I, I fuel at set intervals with kind of set ish amounts. So you're kind of working at that, at race grades, race specificity, tuning in, you know, the, that hundred mile effort strategy on fueling and hydration. And yeah, and then you're probably running a few workouts a week where you're probably doing some moderate intensity for long duration. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm going to take a couple of weeks off. I'm actually going to, I'll jump back and do a short VO2 max block because I have been, haven't done it in a while and then some threshold training. And then I'll probably get about six weeks of super specific Western state stuff and I'll be ready to go. So it sounds like you sound like an incredible student of the sport and I'm curious how you got into coaching and then also how you stay up to date on all the best, but like where you go to get your education around this stuff. Sure, sure. So my coaching actually started probably in 2000 when Lance Armstrong was winning, you know, all those tours. And, you know, I know Chris Carmichael was coaching them. I was not an athlete anywhere near what I am now. Like I was running, you know, five miles a couple of days a week, but I was just fascinated by like, let's see what I can find out about this kind of training. So that kind of fascinated me. Fast forward where we're at today in the sport and obviously just Carl Michael's CTS training system revolutionized remote endurance coaching. And then he now is Jason Coop, who is, you know, the, the head ultra running coach who I think is putting out some really good content and yeah. just not that he is a friend of mine, but I feel like he has helped me very much in yeah. my coaching career. So, yeah. So 
how do I stay up to date? Just reading what is the latest research papers that are coming out, trying to figure out how is this practical to the everyday athlete? Some of it's not. Some of it, you're just trying to get those athletes out to get the sessions in. But other things like gut science, hydration science, all of this stuff, I mean, it's emerging so, so fast that you have to have your finger on the pulse in the coaching sense if you want to be anywhere near relevant. So I feel that, yeah, so I keep up to date on whatever research is coming out, you know, listen to podcasts of, you know, people, you know, defending their papers or, yeah. yeah. And then, like I said, a lot of it, the research, reading the research is a lot of fun to me. The practical side is always going to be contingent on the athlete, right? It's just whether the athlete just needs to get out versus if we're super trying to fine tune someone for a, a crazy performance. But yeah, I mean, it's a fun field. I like being in it. And it's crazy to think that coaching is only 10 years old in our sport, like pre 2010 to have a coach was an absurd thing. Like it's so new. Yeah. I actually was like, I think when did I I started coaching? Not officially, but around 2014, 2015. And I remember so many people pushing me this direction. And I was like, man, nobody wants a running coach. I'm like, that is just not happening at this level of like normalcy, right? Of course, you know, professional athletes are being coached, but it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to think, you know, Carmichael training system for just, like I said, revolutionizing what kind of remote coaching was or is, and now it's everywhere. And now it's, now it's the wild west of coaching and, but it is what it is. We got to start all that out too. That's a whole nother podcast, but that's a whole nother podcast. I do think just putting my own prediction hat on for a second. I think that the next big evolution in coaching is going to be a coach for a co-located trail running team. Like we have, it's very common in the road running world, like, you know, yeah. Hokanaz Elite and Hanson's Brooks and Bowerman. There's such a gap in trail running right now, not only for a team, but also for having a coaching experience like that. And that's what yeah. I'm really excited about. Yeah, for sure. And, and there is some, I think there is some of this kind of going on and there's a few platforms. Yeah, I think I agree with you. It'll be happening. Let me ask you a couple state of the sport questions. The first being just generally, and this could be in any area, what's exciting you most about our sport right now? Growth. I know a lot of people are not, don't want to say that they just, they don't like the growth. They're afraid of the growth. And that's always going to be the case in any industry, right? Growth happens. Some people, get excited. There's a lot of people that aren't in the sport that say, Hey man, there's a lot of money to be made in this sport right now. So that is what I feel like a lot of people are afraid of. And and we see that with some big companies coming in and buying up some stuff, but more growth to me means it's just, it's more people being outside, hopefully creating healthier lives, healthier lifestyles. And that is awesome to be selfish and say that they're going to take over my race or like, now, how am I going to get into this water race? It's just, it's just silly. So, I mean, Talking about this subject in thinking of, I have went to Aravipa and I'm going to stay there. And I've told people there, I personally feel that if there's one trail running company that has a small chance of just changing culture or how this might go to even just a little bit, I think that could be the company. And I know the whole team there, I with my short five months being there, I believe 100% in their vision. And that is super exciting, right? I mean, I think there is, let's put on these super organized, fun, competitive events, and let's keep this sport fun 
while it grows and keep it. I mean, they're putting on these huge events and everybody knows everybody. And it's like so good. It's everything about your small local trail racing that it's getting bigger. And I can't say the same about maybe some of the other companies that are buying up, you know, events in this space. Um, so yeah, so I'm so stoked to just to try to be whatever part of this that I can be. Yeah. And it's interesting. They Aravipa doesn't just own, in my opinion, the event space in our sport. Like when I think of American ultra running events, Aravipa is the first name that pops into my head. 100%. So they, they own that branding, but more recently, and it used to more be like Jamil's thing, but I'm also beginning to realize they kind of are starting to own media too. Like when I go to find content on YouTube or on Instagram, like it's Aravipa. So it's just interesting that it's seeping into all of the most important areas of our sport. And we've kind of needed it. I mean, I run far, carried the torch for a bit. I don't really know what, what's going on there anymore. It doesn't seem like they're innovating at a quick enough pace like Aravipa is doing. So I don't know. It helps to have somebody like Jamil at the helm who thinks like a business person as well. He does. They're actually out covering the U.S. National Cha- 100 Mile National Championships this weekend, Steep Life Media. I got hired to go out to Las Vegas. That event is going on right now. And I hope right now, saying it right now, Arlen Glick, I hope you win, buddy. He's one of my favorite people in the sport today. Uh, we've had some fun conversations. We've raced together and he is running. I hope he wins and crushes everyone because he deserves it. But Yes, exactly what you said. Jamil is years ahead of everyone else. And like I said, I think the vision, not just he, but the whole team have of this is super exciting. One other thing I'll add there. So I'm based in Salt Lake City, Utah. We have this event that Jared Campbell puts on called Running Up for Air. And yeah, yeah, a, yeah. If, I, if I ever had a vote, Jamil would get ultra runner performance of the year for getting seven laps on grandeur in 12 hours while creating a piece of content. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, what saw, you, like, I saw that. <laughs> I, like I said before, I try to lead by example. There is, and again, this comes through my coaching channels as well. We have so many new athletes in the sport. And I think everyone I'm, I can't believe how fortunate I was. I, the first trail running person that I met uh, that someone put me in contact with was Josh Katzman, who, if you are in new England, you probably know this name yeah. and as a role model in the sport, for what he does for the community and goes so far above and beyond. He set the bar for me to try to try to be my best, not just representing the sport, but then encouraging others to be their best and to give back. So I think those athletes that have been in the sport, I know how cheesy this sounds, but to just try to help out the athletes that are newer, show them the way, like, right, go out to events, do some volunteering, sign up for a trail work day. After your race, hang out at the race, meet some people, talk, cheer on others, right? It's just, this sport is so fun and it's so fun because of the community. So we need to keep that community so tight um, that, yeah, that, that's the biggest challenge. And if you are, have been in the sport for a while and like where it's at, then this is my call to you to step up to that challenge and find some newer people in the sport and show them everything about this sport that you love. Amen. A uh, couple lightning round questions here. The first is, and maybe this is going back to coaching and training and whatnot, but is there anything you used to believe really strongly earlier in your trail and ultra running career that you have since changed your mind about and why? Ooh, that's a tough one. 
I honestly can't think of any. I used to race with, I used to race and train with a lot of different alternative fuels. And in my probably last five years, I've never used a crew or a pacer. So that is not a good strategy to train with stuff. And so now I am just, I train with whatever I know is going to be at the aid station. So I guess that little piece of my training has changed, but it's mainly just because of the situation. That's actually, and that's brilliant, by the way, I, when you mentioned that in your interview, I hadn't thought like it's important if you don't have a crew to go and see what they're stocking for gels and foods and liquids at the aid station. Like if it's gnarly nutrition, throw gnarly in your bottles in 30 mile training runs, like hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, I picked up something new. There you go. What's a recent book, movie, or podcast you've consumed that has left an impression on you? Maybe changed the way you think. Podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love comedy. So Pete and Sebastian, the cast, which I love to, uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, Pete Corielli. I don't know that it's changing my view of the world, but it makes me laugh and I love it. The other big one I'll throw at you, Roman Mars, 99% Invisible. That's just 30 minutes on something unique. And he's probably one of the best storytellers in the business. Let me ask one more question off that. If you want to consume like sports science content in podcast form, what, what podcast are you turning to? Hoopcast, not even a question. Hoopcast. Awesome. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? What would it say and why? Be funny. I don't know. <laughs> uh, to me, if you don't have laughter, you don't have anything. So I try to have some fun with most things I do. And yeah, even on the trails, when I see, you know, we all have been in that spot where it's uncomfortable. I don't want to be doing this, but yeah, something I work, you know, with the athletes on the team and with myself is just trying to change that mentality, introduce some mental tricks to change that. So, yeah, I just hope people can find some funny in what they're doing. This has been awesome. If folks want to follow you on social media, how do they do so? And also, are you taking on coaching clients? Social everything is run faster. We got the hat here. So faster, faster is with an A-H. Am I taking on coaching clients? Always. So find me there. We'll link to everything in the show notes. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. And wishing you the best of luck at Western States. Thank you. It's been great. Hey, thanks for listening. I just have the same usual requests. Please consider giving us a review in Apple, a rating in Spotify, and share us on social, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you spend the most time. I know I say it all the time, but yes, it truly does help more folks discover the show. So thank you. As always, I am your host, Finn Melanson. I am grateful for your support, and I will talk to you on the next episode.